faithful to us individually. You have been faithful to us as a church. You have been faithful to Your people through all of eternity. And we trust that You will continue to be. Lord, we even trust You now that You will be faithful to us as the Word goes forth from my mouth to our ears. Lord, show us the beauty of the design of Your family. Since You are Father, Your Son is indeed a Son. So God, may our families reflect Yours. Be faithful to us now, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Please be seated. Uh, well, we, uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. We're going to be continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. We're going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. We're picking up in verse 1, uh, on to 4. We took a break last week, but we pick up uh, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. We're going to be talking about family. And uh, if you recall, if you were here two weeks ago, two weeks ago I began the sermon by asking you, now, if you were given one wish by God, how you might use that in order to eradicate the most pain and suffering in the world. And my answer to that question was by using it on marriages to see the most all families, all parents in particular, to be healthy marriages. Uh, and of those, if we think about that, if there would be uh, healthy marriages in all shapes and sizes, we would find that rape and abortion, abuse, depression, debt, homelessness, and a hundred other things would be eradicated overnight if marriages were all healthy. And one of the other blessings or benefits of healthy marriages is what happens to the children that grow up in those healthy marriages. So of all the topics of research in the social sciences, you will be unable to find more numerous and more varied support for the reality that children who are raised by their biological mother and father experience healthy lives. Supported by research from dozens of universities over the span of decades, every report has found that children raised in the home of both their father and their mother experience both longer lives as a result of their psychological and physical health being stronger. They do better in school. They're more likely to graduate high school in college. Uh, They're more likely to live more likely to not live in poverty. They're less likely to be in trouble with the law. They're less likely to be addicted to drugs and alcohol. They're less likely to be violent. And as we would expect, uh, they are more likely to experience healthy marriages themselves. And none of this is even to mention the spiritual benefits of parents who love Jesus and teach their kids to love Jesus. My experience, our experience as a church and doing membership interviews so often bears this out. So often those that love Jesus and teach their kids to love Jesus, so often that's how they find Jesus. And so just as we said two weeks ago about marriage, the same is true about families. If we're going to impact the world for Christ, if we're going to impact Tinley Town for Christ, this city for the glories of Christ, we must get marriage right. We must get family right. We must think about it diligently and carefully because as we see in the light of the world, families, marriages, they're being messed with in a thousand different ways. Confusion, division is being caused in so many ways. And so we've got to get this right. Uh, we have to recall, remember in Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, this passage is bracketed by spiritual warfare in Ephesians 4 and 5 and right after this in Ephesians 6. And so let me speak to a few of the audience that is here this morning. So kids, you're here this morning. We often have you here maybe once a month or so for uh, numerous reasons, but you're here this morning because this passage, this is a special sermon for you, Sadie and Ella Kate and Elisha and Jonathan and all these others. Uh, This is special because this passage is directed right at you. 
these kids, this passage is directed straight to you, Maggie, right to you. All right. But also this passage is directed for kids that are not just small in age. It's not just children. This passage in Ephesians 6, 1, the word children there is not referring to age, but relationship. Important that you understand that. So you may not be a small child, but you still might be in the framework of this passage. Because if you are still dependent upon mom and dad to get you along in the world, then you're still technically under their supervision. These passages relate to you. And even for those of us that are out of our parents' homes, we want to always seek to honor our father and mother. We never graduate from that. And even uh, if those of you uh, are not trusting in Christ, you're not trusting Christ, you're not a Christian, uh, this might be a strange sermon for you to stumble upon. But listen, I hope that maybe you'll trust in Christ today as a result of seeing God's design for the family. And I recognize, too, as I start out this sermon on families, that there are some here that want to be parents that aren't. Um, whether that be by your not being married or two that you are married and you're just not able to have children. And listen, I just want you to know that I'm aware of that. And it's important that you recognize that you are not your marital or family status. The most important thing about you is, is who you are in Christ. So don't forget that as we work through this passage. So those are the kind of frameworks as we work through this passage. And uh, there are going to be two points this morning. Two points. The first one is this. Children, do what mom and dad say as long as they do what Jesus says. Do what mom and dad say to do as long as they call you to do what Jesus says to do. Obey mom and dad as long as they obey Jesus. That's the first point. Let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Here's, here it goes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother for this is right. All right, so kids, let's think first about what that word obey means. What that word obey means. The word obey can actually mean to answer the door. So if if your mom and dad were to come to your room and they were to... Knock on the door. Obedience is going to answer that door. That's what that word could actually mean. And so when mom and dad ask us to do things or not do things or say things or not say things, they are knocking on the door of your life. Your job is to go and answer the door. Your job is to do what they ask you to do. Uh, And by doing that, kids, you obey your mom and dad. You honor them as your parents that God has given you. Or, kids, we could say this in the opposite way. The opposite way, if you don't do as your mom and dad ask, then you're not obeying them. You're not honoring them as your God-given authorities. Obedience is doing as your parents ask. And honoring them, it's kind of a big word, which means uh, some other big words, to respect them. Uh, These are the people that God has given you to be kind of in control of your life in ways, right? To bring command into your world. And kids, this is so important that the Bible says that this is the first commandment with a promise. And the reason why that's there is who he, so what Paul, the, what the Bible is doing is he's remembering the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament, and he remembers that the first commandment with a promise is honoring your mom and dad, obeying mom and dad. And the reason why he says that is after knowing God, worshiping God, remembering God, that's the first four commandments. After that, 
the most important thing for you to do, kids, is to honor mom and dad. That's how important it is. It's the first commandment with the promise. Now, kids, the family is the way, the most basic way that God builds the world. So you know how, kids, maybe you've built Legos before, I'm sure. Jonathan, I know you've used Legos. I know my kids use Legos. You can think about if you were building a house with Legos. You know those first blocks that you would use to kind of create a pin, some walls? Those are the family. And everything else that comes on top of those Legos is how is built upon the family. Right. So those first pieces are really important. The family is designed by God to have one father and one mother to oversee or to train or to equip kids to know God and to know how to live in God's world. That's what they're trying to do, kids. You should know that God is giving you a family so that you would know God and you would learn how to live in God's world. That's what they're trying to do. So it's important that you get that. So your parents, uh, they certainly need they need to feed you. Right. They need to give you clothes to wear. They need to, you know, help uh, train you up in all different kinds of ways. But that's the most important job of your uh, of your parents is to teach you God and how to live in God's world. That's the most important thing that they do. Hopefully they play with you and have fun with you and play games with you. But that's not their primary job. OK, their primary job is to teach you about God and how to live in God's world. And now sometimes kids, you should know that that kids don't have both a mom and dad living in the home. And sometimes kids, both those mom and dads don't love Jesus. One of the things you'll learn, kids, as you get older, is that this big, beautiful world is hard. It's hard. The important thing, though, for you to remember is that your job is to listen, to obey, to honor, to respect them. That's the simplest way, kids, for you to know God and live in God's world. And as you do that, kids, you'll notice here in this uh, verse in the Bible, the Bible says that you're supposed to obey them in a certain kind of way. So you're aren't you aren't you're going to like this part of the sermon, kids. So pay attention. So you're not supposed to do just whatever they say all the time. There's ways in which you're supposed to do things in a particular way. Notice it says in the in the verse, it says to honor or obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. So that's what it means when it says obey your children, uh, obey your parents in the Lord. It means to do to obey them as long as they are doing what Jesus says to do. All right. Which means that you should not do things that your parents ask you to do if Jesus is not asking you to do it. Now, you should feel a bit of a problem at this point of the message. Right. Because you should be going. I'm not exactly sure what Jesus says to do. Right. So how am I supposed to know? Well, that's a good question to ask. There's three ways that you can know what Jesus teaches so that you can know how to obey mom and dad. Three ways. Here's the first way. The first way is that you read the Bible. This big, beautiful book. All right. My guess is, kids, you have a Bible. You own a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, come and talk to me. I got like 30 of it in my apartment. Uh, We'll give you a Bible. But probably all of you kids have a Bible. You might have maybe a Jesus storybook Bible or big picture storybook Bible, one of those Bibles. So that's the best way to know what Jesus teaches is by reading the Bible. Some of you are learning how to read, uh, but most of you already know how to read. So my encouragement to all of you is to read the Bible. That's how you're going to learn what Jesus says, what Jesus teaches. So you know how to obey him and how to obey your parents. Read the Bible. And if you're wondering where to do that, maybe a good place to start would be in the book of John. The book of John, your parents can show you where John is. John is full of amazing stories about Jesus. 
amazing stories about Jesus and what Jesus teaches. But that's the first place that you should go is to read the Bible. And kids, you're going to have a hard time. Listen, I get it. It's going to be hard for you to read some of the Bible. Some things in there will not make any sense to you at all. They'll be really big words. But guess what? Let me give you some encouragement. Sometimes things don't make sense to me when I read the Bible. All right. So that's why we need other people around us, Uh, which leads me to the second way you can learn how to know what Jesus teaches. And that is to talk to your parents about it. Talk to your parents about learning what Jesus teaches. So ask your parents questions like, Mom, Dad, what does Jesus think about mountains and beaches? Ask uh, mom and dad what Jesus teaches about the things that you like. Uh, ask your mom and dad, why does Jesus think it's important to clean my room, right? To eat all of my vegetables, these kinds of things. And listen, ask them, uh, ask your parents what Jesus teaches about why you go to this church and not another church. Uh, ask them questions like that. And when they answer your questions about what Jesus teaches, this is an important piece. Don't Don't forget this. Ask them why Jesus teaches that. Your parents are going to love that question. All right. Ask them why. Because this is so important. This is something we try to work really hard at this church to do. It's important that you not just know what Jesus teaches. It's important that you understand why he teaches it. That's so important. I grew up in the kind of church where they just told me what to do. And so it's not really motivating until I understood why. So ask your parents why Jesus teaches those things. So that's a second way that you can learn what Jesus teaches so you know how to obey mom and dad. As you read the Bible, talk to mom and dad. And the third way that you can learn how to obey Jesus or know what he teaches is to talk to one of the pastors or the members of this church. So listen, my job, my full-time job, kids, is to teach this church how to follow Jesus. That's what I do. Every day I wake up and I preach, pray. My job is to help these guys, your mom and dads, your friends, all these people. My job, help them follow Jesus. So guess what? My job is to help you follow Jesus too. I don't have like in my job description that like I only have to help the older people follow Jesus. If that was the case, like when would that begin? Like 10, 20, 30, when is it? So my job is to help all of you follow Jesus. So that's also not only my job, Mr. Joey's job that you guys see, the pastors in this church. We have four pastors in this church. So Mr. Me... Joey, y'all know Joey, Mr. Nick, who was up here before, uh, and Chris, he's the guy with the English accent. So he's the one everybody likes to listen to. So uh, there are four pastors. Our job is to help you follow Jesus. So you can talk to any of us about what it means to follow Jesus. And also, there are church members. It's kind of a big word, so let me explain that. The members of this church, these are people that have committed to this church as their church family. And those people and this church has committed to them in their church family. Right? So there's a family. We both sides have agreed to help each other follow Jesus. And those people get this. This is important. You can tell this, by the way, to the members of the church. You can remind them of this. They're going to love it, too. You can tell them those members, whoever they are, your parents can help. Matter of fact, I even have here we go. Uh, here we have a little member. You can take this if you're, your parents, if they're members of this church, they should have one of these. And you can go in here and find out who all the members are. Right. And then when you go in there, you can actually go up to these people and ask them questions about what it means to follow Jesus. Because guess what? All of these people, as members of this church, they made a promise to you, kids. Believe it or not, they did. They made a promise to you to help you follow Jesus. That was in, that was part of the agreement when they became part of this church families. They said that they would help you follow Jesus. Now, what, kids, is one of the places that they help you follow Jesus? Y'all should know the answer to this. All right, it's in Restoration Kids, right? 
So we have, we have a, a, a teaching up to fifth grade. So in up to fifth grade, during this hour normally when we're preaching, they're in there helping you follow Jesus. That's one way that the members of this church help you follow Jesus. But you can always go to them and ask them also other ways to help you follow Jesus. But those are three ways that you can find out what Jesus teaches so you know how to obey mom and dad. And God says, kids, this is so important that you do this. It is a first commandment with a promise. And you'll also notice in the verse at the end of verse one, it says children obey your parents for or because this is right. This is right. In other words, what the Bible is saying is that this is the way God made the world. For you to learn how to live in it is to understand and obey what Jesus teaches as your parents teach you, teach it to you. Uh, Your job is to obey them. That's the way God made the world. And as you do what is right, as you obey mom and dad, as you honor them, the Bible says that it will go well for you and you will live long in the land. Do you know what in the world that means? Right. So basically what it's trying to say is the way that God made the world is to have families where kids grow up in them, where they're obeying mom and dad. And as you do that, you'll learn as you get older uh, to Learn how to live in the world and it'll go well for you. Your life will be better the more that you do this. And so the opposite, kids, is also true. If you don't obey obey mom and dad, and if you don't do what they say, and you don't learn to obey Jesus by obeying them, guess what's going to happen when you get older? It's not going to go good for you. Your life will not turn out good. It'll be harder than it already is going to be. So it's really, really important. So let me give you an example of this, kids. Stairs, we got these stairs when you come in the door, right? Stairs were made to go up and down on, right, Judah? They go up and they go down on stairs, right? Now, I want you to try to think about sleeping on those stairs. How would that go? It would not go well, right? You wouldn't sleep much on those stairs because that's not what the stairs were made to do. You weren't, stairs were not made to sleep on. Stairs were made to go up and down on. So in the same way, your job in the family is to obey mom and dad. And as you obey mom and dad, you're treating the stairs like stairs. You're going up and down them. But if you don't obey obey mom and dad, it's like you're trying to go to sleep on the stairs. It doesn't turn out good. It won't go good for you. That's not the way that God built the world. Now, let me give you some examples of this, kids, in my life when I was growing up. Because believe it or not, there were days that I had hair. And there were days that I was shorter than I already am. All right. And so here's some ways that I learned how my parents taught me how to do these things. So when I was growing up, I had a good mom and dad. They taught me to honor and obey them as they obeyed Jesus because it was right. And in order to do that, in order for me to know God and to live in God's world, they made me do all kinds of things that I did and didn't like. So here are some things that I didn't like. My parents taught me to clean my room. I was a mess. Still am a mess. They taught me how to clean my room. Uh, They taught me how to mow the grass, how to empty the dishwasher. Uh, My mom had this thing called the National Yard Day. It was the like worst day of the year where we had to rake all the leaves up on a Saturday and bag them. Now I'm thinking back, like, why didn't we just mow those things? But anyway, it took up. We had a Saturday. It was my whole day to play. But instead, we had to take that day and and bag all the leaves up. Took the whole day to do it. Uh, But there was those are things that I didn't like. But there was other things that I did like that my parents taught me. My dad taught me how to play tennis. My dad taught me how to play basketball. My mom taught me about Jesus and how good Jesus was. Both of my parents taught me about the importance of family 
And not only our family, but also my grandparents and my uncles and my cousins. We would go see them and talk to them. And my parents taught me how good the church was. And so uh, my parents would bring me to church. Now, kids, let me be honest with you. Uh, when I was your age, I a lot of times went kicking and screaming. I didn't really want to go to church. But when I look back now, I see how important it was, what they were doing to me and bringing me to church. They taught me those good things. And as I learned to do those things, and as I learned to not just do them, but to obey my parents in those things, the good and the bad, my life became better the older I got. So, for instance, now I'm less messy than I was because I learned the value of cleaning stuff up. Judah, Elisha, don't forget, that's why we ask you to clean things up all the time. But I also learned as I got older, my mind is smarter as a result of their investment in me. My love for Jesus, my love for family, my love for the church are better because my parents taught me these things and I learned to obey them in those things. And guess what else, guys, happens? Now, because I listened to my parents and obeyed my parents and I learned these things, now I have two little boys that are learning to do the same thing. And I'm teaching them those things. And Lord willing, they're going to get older and then they're going to do the same thing. Their life is going to be better. It's going to go well with for them in the land that we live in as a result of their listening and obeying to what me and my wife are teaching them. So this is really important. This is so important that the Bible calls it a matter of first importance in ways. So uh, families, when they do these things, it goes well for them. God wants you to honor and obey your parents. That's the way God made the world. But there's also one more thing, kids. He wants you to obey your mom and dad because that's the most important way that you'll learn how to love God. That you'll learn how to love God. And listen, you'll also learn that's the most important way your kids, kids, you're going to learn how to know how much God loves you. That's so important. God is going to teach you. God understands himself as a father. And so Jesus is understood as the son. And so God wants you to understand the family. And the, when mom and dad are doing their job, they're going to teach you about the love of God. And they're going to teach you how much God loves you. So much so that God would give his son up for you. You know, could you imagine if I gave up Elisha for one of you? Right. You would know that I loved you a lot. Kids, that's how much God loves you. He's willing to give you his only son so that you could know his love and flourish in the world and do good in the world. Never forget how much God loves you. And, God, and kids also don't forget that Jesus used to be a kid, too. Now, he has existed from eternity. There was never a day when he was not living, but he became a man. That's what we talk about at Christmas. And there was a time when he was a baby, just like Quinn here. And he grew up to be a small child. He grew up to be Caleb size and he grew up to be Judah size and on and on he went and he got older and became a man. So, kids, when you think about this, don't forget, Jesus used to be a kid, too. And listen, his life was better because don't miss this. He always obeyed mom and dad. And because Jesus always obeyed mom and dad and because Jesus, most importantly, always obeyed his heavenly father. He was able to go to a cross and pay for all of your wrongs. Pay for all of those sins on the cross because of his obedience. If Jesus would have disobeyed mom and dad or just disobeyed his father one time, he would not have been able to pay for our sins. But because Jesus did obey mom and dad all the time, he's the only one, by the way, that has ever done that. Because he was faithful, because he was obedient, 
His obedience is able, kids, to be transferred to you when you trust him. And your disobedience is able to be transferred to him at the cross. This is how you learn about how to be part of God's family. By trusting in the Son, Jesus Christ. And by kids, by turning from your sin, by believing what you have done is wrong, and by trusting in Jesus as your only hope for salvation, that's the way you become part of God's family. And you get ushered in. It's beautiful. And it's wonderful. And I hope, we hope, that all of you will trust in Jesus. And if you want to do that, you talk to your parents about that. Kids, obey your mom and dads as they obey Jesus. This is really important. Second point. So kids, now, focus is off to you. Now on to mom and dad. All right? And this is for those not only that have kids, but those that someday will have children. Second point. Fathers, parents, but fathers especially, do not provoke your kids to anger, but instead provoke them to delightful discipline in the Lord. Parents, fathers especially, do not provoke your kids to anger, but instead provoke them to delightful discipline. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We can throw a parallel verse in there. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So from those two verses, we can see that we as parents can both provoke a kind of discouragement that leads to anger and a kind of anger that leads to discouragement. We can set up that kind of environment. We've got to not do that. And so you may be wondering why it says fathers there and not fathers and mothers at the beginning of that passage. The reason for that, guys, is because, well, you see, first off, let me tell you what it's not. We know that it has to include mothers because if you look back up in verse 1, children are to obey mom and dad. So mothers are in view here in verse 4. Uh, but that doesn't really answer your question why that there. Well, remember, back in Ephesians 5, 22 to 20, 33, right before this passage, we learned that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So in other words, Paul, what Paul's doing here is he's recognizing that the husband, the father, sets the environment of the home. He sets the culture of the home. Just like pastors, we set the culture of the church. And so he's addressing them especially, but also the uh, mothers as well. Fathers set the aroma of the home. I'm sure all of you either know of a father that established a culture of discouragement or anger. I'm sure all of us know that. Some of you may have grown up in homes like that. With the fathers, every time the father came home, it just made things worse. And you were discouraged and angered. I know people personally like this. But it's, it's not even uncommon as we think about that for this to happen in Christian families. People that take the name of Christ. They come into the room, fathers come into the room, and they make matters worse. They're discouraged when they show up. Which is why the Lord in his infinite wisdom calls those that claim to be in Christ to set up homes of encouragement, not discouragement. Fathers and parents both set up homes of joy, not discouragement. Joy, not anger. Mothers and fathers, but fathers especially. We need to set aroma, an aroma of pleasantness in our homes. When we walk into the room from work, our families shouldn't feel the air get heavier, but in some ways get lighter. It doesn't mean we can't have hard days, but on the whole, our wives should smile in considering our presence. Our kids should be glad to talk about their dads and see dad come home. 
And so forgiveness, love, compassion, service, hope, joy in the midst of sorrow. These things should mark our homes since they mark the gospel and the Lord of the gospel. Guys, it is a sadly common tale to hear of heavy handed fathers who in the name of Christ drove their kids away from Christ. By their constantly provoking their kids to discouragement or anger in the name of Jesus. Outside of being a child of God, there is no higher calling and greater privilege in the world than being a father and a mother. This is a matter, as we said, of first importance. Because, as we've learned, we have the primary role as parents of showing the next generation of who God is and how to live in God's world. And so, guys, I could even lose my job as a pastor if I don't get this right. So that shows us how families even transcend the church. And so, we've got to get this right. How is it we not provoke our kids to anger or discouragement. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, six ways. Six ways that we can provoke our kids to discouragement or anger. And parents, let me encourage you, take this list, write this list down. It's not a perfect list, but take this list down, write these things out, and go back and have a conversation and ask how you're doing later this afternoon or maybe tomorrow or sometime this week. First way that we can provoke anger or discouragement in our homes is when we discipline our children out of our own anger. We discipline our children out of our own anger. As we have seen, there is definitely a place for godly anger. But when we are angry, we should tread lightly in communicating to our children in those moments. Because when we are angry, more often than not, we are more mindful of how we or what we are feeling instead of the Lord, instead of what the Lord would have us to feel or think. We are more aware of being offended ourselves than we are uh, of the fact that our kids could be offending God himself. And as a result, it's very easy to lose self-control and say things or do things that are not in keeping with the gospel. It's better to bite our tongues, step away from those environments when we feel it, calm down and re-enter the story as we see there in Ephesians 4.32, being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving as we have been forgiven. We provoke anger in our children when we are disciplining out of our own anger. Second, we provoke discouragement or anger when we are inconsistent in our instruction and discipline of the Lord. So if you tell your children that they aren't allowed to use a certain word, and sometimes you discipline them that way and sometimes you don't, you're sending a confusing signal to your children. Which would lead them to not know what they ought to do. You make it more difficult for them to obey you because they are not sure exactly what's going on. So, Uh, You should be very careful then as a result of this. This is one of the hardest lessons I've learned as a parent. You should be careful what you say is right or wrong or what they can do or can't do. Be careful. Whatever it is, because then you've got to be consistent on it. I've done this before. I can remember making mistakes about this. And I said to my kids, they can or can't do something. And the second I said it, I went, shoot, now I've got to follow up on that. And it's not that big a deal. So be careful. Guys, this is one of the reasons, for instance, sort of this is a strange turn. This is one of the reasons why our immigration system is so problematic in our country. Because our government has given us two things that are uh, working against each other. On the one hand, we want to deport illegal immigrants. And then we have, on the other hand, laws where it's safe for them to be there. And so it's maddening. So in the same way, we have to be consistent in our discipline. Third, ways that we can provoke, engage uh, anger or discouragement is when we have our personal preferences be more important than gospel priorities. Personal preferences are more important than gospel priorities. Guys, I want to make clear, this doesn't mean that you can't have personal preferences in your home. Of course you should, right? 
If, if in your home you're supposed to take your shoes off when you walk in the door, that's fine. But listen, you have to make clear to your children that we uh, that they need to uh, see the laws of God is more important than taking off your shoes when you walk in the door or whatever other personal preference it is. And even when they disobey those personal preferences, help them trace back all the way to the heart, the design of God in some ways. So, for instance, it's completely understandable if you're watching TV and your kids are being excessively loud and you're annoyed. Right? It happens a lot. But be careful how you speak and what you speak to your children, noting, noting that your children's volume is not commanded by God. Gospel priorities have to be the loudest voice in our homes, not our personal preferences. Labor to keep these distinctions in your mind. And one way you can do that, by the way, guys, is put a Bible word on it. Help it make clear. What does the Bible say? What's the sin there to make that clear to the kids? Uh, fourth way we can provoke discouragement or anger in our kill, uh, children is when we're passive towards cultivating a relationship with them. When we're passive towards cultivating a meaningful relationship with our kids. If all we're doing is managing the schedule, getting them fed in bed and on time to school, to baseball practice, or whatever else you do, you get them to church and you drop them off and we're never engaging their hearts, their thoughts, their minds, their dreams, their interests. We're going to provoke discouragement in our children because when we appeal for them to follow Christ, it's going to ring hollow because we've been hollow towards them. Great example of this in the Bible. First Kings one six. There's this guy by the name of Adonijah. He causes all kinds of trouble in Israel. And I want you to listen to how the Bible describes how the problem went or where the problem comes from. 1 Kings 1.6, Adonijah, he tries to be king. Listen to what it says. His father, Adonijah's father, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. Do you get what the Bible's saying there? The Bible just said there, because his dad never pushed on him, and he was really handsome, basically, Adonijah grew up just knowing he could do whatever he wanted to. So because his father didn't engage him personally, it caused not only problems for him, but it caused problems for all of Israel, which reminds us, by the way, our sin is not related or relegated to ourselves. It eventually touches all kinds of people. Don't be passive. Fifth, we provoke our kids to anger and discouragement when our discipline doesn't fit the crime. So, for instance, if I yell at my son because he maybe took uh, uh, one of his kids' piece of gum, I yell at him, and then I say, you can't play in the next five baseball games. That's really cruel. And it's true. What he did was wrong, right? If he lied or he took something, he stole stealing is wrong. But if my punishment, or a better word, discipline, is outstripping that wrong, then I'm communicating again all the wrong things. I'm going to crush the spirit of my sons. I'm going to cause them to live in fear of me. Make sure that the punishment, or again, the discipline... Uh, fits the crime six this is a tough one for me this is probably the most the one i fail at the most we provoke discouragement and uh, anger in our kids when we are consistently shaming or belittling them as to how they behave when we consistently are shameful or belittling them into how they behave i can't think of a single instance guys where god shamed one of his people into obedience he spoke sharply to them. He rebuked them. But he never took things, took something someone did and chided with them so as to get them to obey. He never does that. And so, listen, in a moment of frustration or disobedience, if you're mimicking their behavior, changing your tone of voice, 
so as to sort of make fun of them and try to get them to act a different way, you're treating them in a way that God does not treat us. Don't shame them or belittle them towards obedience. Seventh, you provoke anger or discouragement in your children uh, if you form your children's identity out of his or her biggest struggles. If you form their identity out of what they don't do as well. If you're reminding them all the time of the things they're not good at, their identities are going to come to be formed by those ideas. And it's going to be hard enough to live in our identities as Christ already. And so if you're reminding them all the ways that they fail, then their identities are going to get formed by that way and you're going to provoke discouragement and anger in them. You can't do it that way. It may be true that your child struggles with this or that, but that struggle, whatever it is, does not define them. Make sure that's clear. Let eternal realities define them. This is why in premarital counseling, if you've been done premarital counseling with us, you've heard this before, that's why we say to premarital counseling, you can't say the words always and never. They're attack words, right? They're never right, right? If you say you always do this or you never do that, that's hardly ever true. So don't use that towards our kids. So we provoke our children towards anger and discouragement when we discipline out of anger, when we're inconsistent in our discipline, when we are disciplined out of personal preferences, not gospel priorities, when we're passive, when our discipline outstrips the sin, when we shame or belittle our kids, when we let their struggles become of their part uh, identities, part of their identities. And remember, parents, remember those words from James, the power of the tongue. Consider what a small spark can set a great forest ablaze. Be careful with your tongue. It's that powerful. We are doctors, not those that are doing demo. Everybody loves demo day, right? You ever watch the, the games? What's the, whatever their names? I already forgot. Uh, fixer upper thing. Yeah. So he loves demo day because demo day is easy. Everybody loves demo day. You take stuff down. It's harder to build them up. We're trying to cut in order to heal. Which leads me to the second part of that verse. Delightful discipline. We're putting off provoking discouragement and anger. We're putting on delightful discipline. Look at verse four again. We bring them up in the discipline, the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Isn't this great, by the way? You ever notice Paul, what Paul does here? He doesn't just say, don't do this. He says, also do that. Put this off, put this on. That's good parenting. And by the way, that's good discipleship. When you're not just telling people stuff not to do, but you're also telling them what to do. Notice the words here in that passage of verse 4. The word, therefore, bringing up means nurturing. Nurturing them up. Our kids are like saplings that are going to be oaks one day. Saplings that are going to be oaks. Don't handle them like they are full-grown oak. Kind of beating and moving around on them. We have to be understanding that they are saplings. They are sensitive and nurturing. This is especially true, guys, of the first 10 to 12 years of your kid's life. They are saplings. And they are able positively to be changed much more easily than they will be after they're 10 or 12. And so those first 10 or 12 years are huge. We've got to make sure and nurture them up, train their limbs in ways that we can get them to grow up. And so those first 10, 12 years especially, this is so true to be careful to nurture them. And also notice the words instruction and discipline. So instruction there means to teach them, teach them stuff, instruct them in the Lord, instruct them what God teaches. But also we need to discipline Notice the word, I was correcting myself, by the way, I was kicking myself because I used the word punishment. We don't punish our kids. We discipline our kids. What's the difference? Punishment is punitive. Discipline is corrective. So I don't just punish my kids. I'm trying to correct them. So we 
discipline. So we're instructing, we're teaching, and then we're correctively trying to train those limbs up to be great oaks. So we need to teach and discipline, instruct and discipline. And this notion of training children up is a constant theme throughout Scripture because the Lord has designed the family to be the main environment to train his people up. And only after that comes the church. We can see this in Deuteronomy 6. We read there in verse 7 of the commands that they should be taught diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, you should be doing this all the time, not at just family devos. Have them, but be doing it all the time. The Bible also goes down in Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear, my son. I don't know if you've ever thought about Proverbs in this way, but it is very much a conversation between a father and a son, or even mother and a son. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. God has designed family to understand this all through the Bible. We get these passages already we see in Ephesians and Colossians. God is very diligent to teach us about the nurturing of our kids so as to bring them up in the Lord. And so as a result of that, I'm going to finish this sermon by showing you from Proverbs how we can do this work, this positive work. So Proverbs is a book, again, a father speaking to a son. So this is another one of those times I like to say, wouldn't it be great if we could see a picture in the Bible where this is actually happening? Well, guess what? It's in Proverbs. That's exactly what's going on. So we just saw this is a father speaking to a son. And so let's see. I'm going to show you two ways. I could give you 10. But I'm going to show you two ways that uh, we see this positive instruction and disciplining happening. All right, so we're going to watch this real time. So imagine this would be sort of like in a movie where a father's teaching and instructing and disciplining his son. Uh, and so we're going to come alongside and try to see if we can make some observations to learn how we can do this. Here we go. Proverbs 1, 10 to 11, right after that verse I just read you. So right at the beginning of Proverbs 10, 11, it says this. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. And he goes on right after that, and he lists a bunch of other vices. Then he says in verse 18, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. All right, so I see the father training and disciplining his son in four ways in that passage. Four. He did four important things that we need to learn from. First, he warned his son of evil. Second, he warned him, he warned his son of the cunning of evil. Third, he warned them of the blindness of evildoers. And fourth, he showed them the, the end of evildoers. All four of those things are important when we are disciplining and instructing our kids. And honestly, guys, can I just be honest with you for a second? I, I think, well, I've been honest the whole time, just for the record. Sorry. Yeah. So, but I honestly think this is a, a weak spot in my preaching ministry. I think that I can try to emphasize what is good and right and true, and as well I should. But I don't think I've done a good as, as good a job as I should at warning you about the evil side of things, how the evil one's trying to get in. That's something I think I can grow in as a pastor, as a preacher. But this is what fathers, we've, and fathers and mothers, we've got to do these things. We have to not only teach our kids uh, of sinners and evildoers, but we have to help them see the deceitfulness and the ultimate ruin of those around them. Jesus, guys, did this all the time, right? He reminded, you know, he warned them of the leaven of the Pharisees. Remember, he did that. He's always warning them. Remember, Jesus experienced this himself 
when he goes out to the desert, to the wilderness, and the evil one is tempting him in all these kind of evil ways. And Jesus not only knew the word, he knew where the word, that evil was going to eventually take him, and he knew where the good was going to take him. And he fought against it. He never lost sight of the end of evil, Jesus. So in order to train up our kids in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, we must warn our kids about the presence of evil, the cunning of evil, the blindness of evildoers, and the end of evildoers. And don't forget to tell them, parents, that you once were an evildoer. Don't make yourself the positive side of the stories all the time. Show them that you once were a sinner and still do sin. That's why you need Jesus. And tell them that about yourself. In addition, if not more so than to your kids. You've got to help them see your need for Christ. And how you once were these people and sometimes can be deceived yourself. Show them how you need Jesus. Here's a second way we can learn from Proverbs and how to raise up our children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Look right after this. All I did, by the way, right there is just read the very next thing. It's interesting, isn't it, that the first thing we see in Proverbs about training up kids is showing evil in the world. But right after this, the next thing he does in Proverbs 2, 1 to 4, look what he does. He now turns to the positive side of things. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Notice it said heart, not head. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then you'll notice if you're in Proverbs, you can flip over there and see this. He lists out a bunch of benefits if you do this, if you if you seek the knowledge of God. He says that uh, the God's going to be a shield, verse 7. Verse 8, he's going to guard the paths, your paths, and he's going to watch over the way of saints. Verse 10, knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Verse 11, discretion and understanding will guard uh, will guard you and watch over you. Verse 16, you'll be delivered from evil. Verse 20, you'll walk in the good way. Verse 21, you'll inhabit the land. All of these blessings, he's helping them see. Don't do this. And look, follow God because of all of this is going to happen. He's helping them see both of that. So I see three things there on the positive side that the father is doing to the son. Three things that I think we need to learn from in training up our kids. First, he shows the positive side of God's command by appealing to the heart. Appealing to the heart. Our tendency, my tendency, is to appeal to my kids' behaviors. That's the easy thing to do, right? Get, don't do that. Start doing that. Just stop it, right? There's a great line. If you go watch YouTube, go just Google Bob Newhart, stop it. Great. It'll be awesome to help you understand we got to go after the heart. All right. Just saying stop it or not doing something won't work. We got to go after their hearts. The father is going to say not too much longer after this in Proverbs 4.23 that the heart is the wellspring of life. So he's aiming at the heart. He makes it clear, the father does to the son, that the heart is the engine of our behaviors. It requires, guys, more work to go after the, war, after the heart, but it is critical because, here's why, don't miss this, when you go to the heart and you're instructing the kid's heart, it's going to force you to get to the gospel. And that is the heart of what you're after. Also, second thing he does here in that passage, he appeals to his son's imagination. Did y'all catch that? If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure. He's giving his imagination. I honestly think this is one of the greatest failures in the healthy kind of reformed minded churches. We are really good 
at teaching the Bible and making it clear what the Bible says. But we are really, 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 really bad at appealing to people's imaginations. We're just terrible at this. I mean, that's, I fall asleep at some of my own favorite preachers teaching because they're anyway. Yeah, I'm getting off on a tangent. But anyway, appeal to imaginations. Appeal to imaginations. We are too focused on passing along information. Guys, you have information you cannot currently obey. And you are not obeying. It's not enough just to give them the information. Appeal to their hearts and appeal to their imaginations. Do you guys remember about two or three weeks ago, I gave you the example of that Mazda commercial? Do you remember that? Remember the Mazda commercial? The guy, be inspired. Right? And they have a girl climbing a mountain. And, you know, another kid's dancing. And another girl's boxing. You know, and then all of a sudden a Mazda car comes on. Be inspired by Mazda. They didn't tell you anything about the car. Nothing about the car. Zero about the car. All they told you is all these amazing things. And then they insert a Mazda car into the story. Why? To show you, listen, if you want to do all this stuff, then you'll buy a Mazda. They're appealing to their imaginations. And they're really, really good at it. This is what movies do all the time. This is how the cultural conversation shifts. They don't just tell you what's right and wrong. They give you images. They give you illustrations. They give you stories. It appeals to your heart, to your affection, to your imaginations. And then you change. We have to use it. They're using our, they're using our weapons against us. We have to use imaginations and paint beautiful pictures to help our kids see what a life is like with God and his people. Appeal to their imaginations. This is so important to do. So use stories from the Bible. And don't just read them. I mean, definitely read them, but talk about them. Help them see it with their mind's eye. Tell them stories of your own life when you got things right and wrong. Uh, me and my kids, we just finished. This is what pastor's kids do. Uh, but it, this could be for you, too. We just finished 10 stories of kids that grew up in the church. Uh, so we looked at William Tyndale, and we looked at Hugh Latimer, and we looked at Thomas Chalmers and all these guys. So it showed that sort of what their life could was like and how they were courageous for God. Appeal to their imaginations. I'll give you an example of this, and I'm going to close. Uh, so another sabbatical story, another sunset sabbatical story. Uh, so I told you all when we went on sabbatical, one of the things we wanted to do is I wanted to see as many sunsets because I love going to sunset. So we walk out to the beach. And we're at this beach. And nobody's there, largely. It's just us. It's really quiet. And nobody's around. End of the day, sun's going down, and there was just enough clouds in the sky. See, the, honestly, the one the sun sets without the clouds in the sky, not as good. Need a little bit, of, not a lot, a little bit of clouds. Sun's going down, sinking into the ocean. Sun is bouncing off of those clouds, and the sky is lit up. It is beautiful. If you follow my wife's Instagram account, you saw a picture of it. Beautiful sunset, gorgeous. Nobody's around. It's quiet. My wife, Andy, she's sitting back there about 30 yards away from us on the beach, just sort of taking it all in. And I'm standing right at the edge of the water. The water is lapping up on my bare feet. Isn't this a great image? Whopping up on my bare feet. I'm staring at this amazing sunset, this amazing sky. And around me is Judah and Elisha, and they're playing in the water. They're throwing shells into the ocean. They're running back and forth. They're having the best time. And I'm just looking at all this. It's still, it's quiet, it's beautiful. And I say to my kids right there, Boys, you want to know why I love God? Because of that. You want to know why I believe God? Because of that. That's why. Because that is beautiful. And God is so much more beautiful than that, kids. Don't you know, Judah, Elijah, God is even more beautiful than that. If he made that, he's got to be even better than that. Do you see what's happening? In the moment, it wasn't family Devo. That's probably going to be one of the most powerful things they'll ever remember. Appeal to their imaginations and to their hearts that God is great, that God is good, that God is powerful, that God will win. 
He has one and he will be and he will bring back and he will have the whole world be like that sunset. Show them that. Teach them that. Instruct them in those things and appeal to their hearts. Appeal to their imaginations. And the last thing, uh, as we as we think about this, uh, we think about the appeal uh, to the why questions. Appeal to the why questions. We notice uh, here in this passage, the father's training the son and he's helping him understand what it what will happen when you do this stuff. All these different benefits will come. So you've got to help them understand that. Don't just do this. Don't just teach them to do this stuff because it's the right thing to do. Teach them to do it because this is the way God built the world. And here's what's going to happen to you kids if you get this right. And it appeals to that big, beautiful, glorious God. So listen, guys, I understand why birth rates are plummeting around the world. I understand why Christian families even are waiting to have more kids or to have kids at all. You want to know why I understand that? Because kids are hard. It's the same reason why so few people give themselves to meaningful one-on-one, life-on-life discipleship. It's hard. Kids are hard. Kids are expensive, too, by the way, if you didn't know that. But they're hard. Kids strip away the precious individualism and personal freedom that our country says is the most important thing. They're lying to you. And we're buying, all of us, myself included. You're darn right raising kids are hard, but every single thing in life that's worth doing is hard. There are few things better than raising kids. My wife and I have been privileged to be given two people to raise. Two image bearers that are primarily our responsibility, not yours, mine. I have two kids that I have to answer before God to. He gave us two kids. All of the ministry that I do in my life, no matter what it might be, from planting and pastoring this church to planting and pastoring. I'm not going anywhere. If I were to plant and pastor other churches, I'm not going anywhere. If I were to write books and speak on conference, uh, you know, uh, um, platforms, none of those things are as important as raising those two boys. None of them. My raising those two boys is more important than what I do for you. That's how important this is. It's the greatest privilege of me and my wife's life to raise those two boys. And all of us, don't miss this, all of us, every single one of us have the privilege and responsibility of doing it, of raising kids. Whether it's physical children or spiritual children, as followers of Christ, we have the joy and privilege of helping kids grow and treasure Christ. We get to show them who God is, what God is like, and how to live in God's world. Parents, your job is difficult, but it's glorious. It's not ultimately your school's job to do this. It's not even this church's ultimate job to do this. It's your job. It's an important job. It's a hard job, but it's a great job. And now we're here as a church to help you in this. And so Restoration Church family, we must labor to get marriage right. We must labor to get family right. Next week, we'll think about getting work right. The enemy is doing everything in his power to cause confusion and division as it relates to these things. And so we must be countercultural. We must be cross-centered, we must be cross-bearing, and we must be Christ-exalting in this work. If we get nothing right, we've got to get these things right. And so may we help each other on to heaven. And I thank God for the ways that you're already doing this. And so we have to also pray in the work of parenting. Because we will find out really quick, if you haven't already, it's hard to do this, and we need the help of God to do it. And so as we think about prayer in raising kids, let's pray and ask Him for help now.
Father. What an amazing thing is that we can say that. And it's true. You are our Father. You, Jesus, are the Son of the Father. You are even a big brother, as it were, to us. Teach us how to model the family of who you are in yourself. That the world would know that you are great and that you are good. Pray for the salvation of our children, of more children. Pray that they would know who you are and what you're like and how to live in your world. May we take this seriously. May we make hard choices to have more kids and to train them up and do the hard work so that they would go on to have the good life in the land and it would go well for them and for you. We thank you for Jesus who makes this all possible. In his name we pray. Amen.